0: Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. So good morning. It's good to be back with you. Uh, our scripture reading this morning comes from a number of places. Uh, we've been looking at Galatians 5 and also in James. You'll see uh, a, different, a group of different scriptures printed for you in your worship folder. It'll be on the screen behind me and at, on your screen at home as, as we read. So follow along if you want to try to take a Bible. And, and if you did sword drills when you were a kid or something, you can get to the places fast enough to follow that way. Feel free to do that as well as we read together i didn't introduce myself my name is drew i'm one of the pastors here and it's my pleasure to be with you this morning let's read uh, from god's word but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law and then from james know this my beloved brothers let every person be quick to hear Slow to speak, slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God who is wise among you and understanding among you by his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth. this is not the wisdom that comes down from above but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist there will be disorder in every vile practice but The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then from Paul, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. We've been working our way through to the Spirit in Galatians 5 there describing the person who's being cultivated by God and not enculturated and what they look like. And we come this morning, as you probably can tell from those readings, to gentleness. It's probably the most unappreciated in the list. One of the things I do often is, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times, probably 50, 100 times, praying for people I'll ask, you know, give me one of the fruits of the Spirit that I could uh, pray into your life for you. And I've never had anybody tell me they want to be gentle with one exception. Only one exception I can think of, and that's the First time we did this, he, he said, I would just wanna be gentle. And I just, it struck me because i had never had anybody, it struck me because I'd had never had anybody ask uh, for me to pray that for them, and it struck me because that's just so true of who I've uh, come to know him to be. Gentleness. Now we all wanna be full of faith and joyful, but what about gentle? Uh, and so you see we have a blind spot, and immediately we're confronted by the text here in James when he says this he says no my brothers let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger and listen to this phrase for anger does not produce the righteousness of God we live in a time of outrage differing opinions on important matters which escalate into shouting and name calling and sometimes even violence we are an angry nation I mean, we're, we're, I mean, I hope you know how profoundly that is true. When people, whether they're serious or not, not start, to, start to just throw around the idea of civil war. I mean, we are, a, we are a deeply troubled and angry nation. The Wall Street Journal did an article this past week about the Mitchell family and the Gates family who live next door to one another in Pittsburgh, who are on opposing sides of the political spectrum, and yet they're friends. And that's newsworthy. That's where we are. Now, there are good desires in all of the outrage, of course. The text says there it's righteousness that we're after. So we have a sense that there's something very wrong, that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. But the error, according to James here, is trying to solve the problem with anger. Anger doesn't work, he says. Look, he said, look there. He says it doesn't bring righteousness. And I wonder if James learned this from the other disciple named James. This is James, the brother of Jesus. But of course, James. And his brother John, if you remember, they had a nickname. Jesus Jesus gave his guys nicknames, which I love. And he nicknamed them Sons of Thunder because of their winning personalities. Not really. Their philosophy of ministry was to call down fire from heaven to consume whoever disagreed with them or Jesus. Let's just say Jesus did not agree with that strategy. Because kingdom of heaven does not come through outrage and red-faced condemnations. Now, it doesn't say don't be angry. Be slow to anger, it says. Actually, the Apostle Paul said, be angry. It's good to be angry, as long as you have low expectations for what your anger can actually accomplish. Anger doesn't produce righteousness. That's what it says. Most of the time, it only makes things worse. So then, what does work? If anger doesn't work, what does work? And the answer that James gives in the text in chapter 3, which is why I link these two texts together, he says there is something that works. Anger doesn't really, but there is something else. And James' answer is gentleness. And so he goes on to describe the gentle person as having wisdom from above there in chapter 3, verses 13, 13 through 18. Wisdom from above that is pure and peaceable and Gentle and open to reason, full of mercy, impartial and sincere and so forth. And he says this is a person who is able to de-escalate conflict through listening and empathy. They're curious and open to different ideas and not overly dogmatic. They're charitable to those with whom they disagree. They're not out just to win. That's a truly wise person. And what it says is that the fruit of their life, verse 18, has become one of my favorite I say this every week, I feel like, but the scripture just amazes me and this verse amazes me because it says that that person, the fruit of their life is a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by peacemaking. Do you remember back to chapter one, verse 20? What does it say? Man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. We're after righteousness, but here it says that this gentle approach can produce a harvest of righteousness that's sown in peace by peacemaking. So if something is wrong, it's hardly ever made right by anger. That's the teaching. But as Christians... We have a different tool on our tool belt that can change the world, and it's gentleness. And so that's our topic for this morning. We're going to talk through it under just a few headings. If you see there in the outline I gave you, we want to talk about gentleness and where it comes from and what it is not, because we want to be careful to define that, and then what it is, and lastly, how you get it. So those four things, gentleness, gentleness where it comes from and what it is not and what it is and ultimately how you get it. So let's just walk through the text together. Can we first talking about where gentleness comes from? And put simply, if you notice there, I say we are to be gentle because God is. Gentleness is a fruit of the spirit and the Holy Spirit is a person. And so the fruit of Holy Spirit is what he's like as a person. He is loving and joyful and patient and kind and trustworthy and gentle. That's the kind of person Holy Spirit is, and he is God, and therefore the fruit of the Spirit are God's attributes. They're the description of the kind of person God is, and he is gentle. Now, if you need more evidence, in Hebrews it says that Jesus, Christ, was the fingerprint of God. He was the radiance of God's glory is the wording that the writer uses there. To see Jesus was to see God, and what Jesus is like is what God is like. Because, of course, he wasn't just like God, Jesus was God himself, and so what was Jesus like? Well, Dane Ortland, in the book that I've been quoting often in the recent weeks, Gentle and Lowly, it's a wonderful little book. His thesis there is that there's only one place, only one place in the whole Bible where Jesus discloses his deepest heart to us. Where he, let me use his words, where he pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who he is. And it's the passage in Matthew 11 that we read just a minute ago. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Now in the Bible, the word heart refers to It refers to a person's core. It refers to the motivational center, the command center of a person's life. It's what's most true of them. It's the thing that gets them out of bed in the morning. It's the thing that they daydream about when they drift off to sleep, they're thinking about and so forth. It's not part of who you are, it's the center of who you are. And Jesus says, my heart, my core is gentleness. And we might expect something different, I mean, he could have used a lot of other words, but he said, if you want to know what animates me most deeply, if you want to know what is most true of me as a person, it's gentleness. And so in Jesus, God is making himself known. And in those verses right there, he's exposing the innermost recesses of his being to us. So what is the core truth? What is the core truth about God and who he is that he most wants us to know? I am gentle and lowly of heart. Here's Dane Ortland. He says, God is not trigger happy. He's not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. So Christian is a person who is being remade to be like God. If you're being cultivated by the Holy Spirit, that means you will be gentle, just like God is. And our culture is shaping us into a very different image. That's why we're doing these these through the spirit because these are very, this is a very different kind of person than the culture now is, is producing. The culture is producing people in a very different image to be finger wagging rather than open armed, red faced, all caps. I've seen videos, I mean, have you just seen the videos of people just like raging into their iPhones? Just screaming because there's so much pent up anger and frustration and so to be gentle. To be gentle in all the things that we're worried about and fighting for and so forth. To be gentle is our missionary mandate. Especially in this particular cultural moment, because we're gentle because God is. But secondly, not only where it comes from but what it is not. Because as soon as I say that, wrong ideas start to form in our heads. And so before we even define specifically what gentleness is, we need to talk about what it is not. And it is not a synonym for conflict avoidance. In fact... When gentle or gentleness is mentioned, and you'll notice this in the, in the verses that we chose for this morning, wherever it's mentioned, particularly in Paul, about church life, the context is some kind of confrontation. So look at Galatians 6. It's actually not 6, 21 through 22. I don't even think such verses exist. It's 6, 1 and 2. And there in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So he says... When there is sin in someone that is egregious and besetting, you confront it. That's the protocol. You have no choice. You have to do that. You don't sit back and do nothing and watch that person waste away. You speak the truth. You call it out, but always, always with gentleness because gentleness is where the spiritual power is found. Now, we'll come back to that in just a minute. So gentleness is what determines whether the confrontation is spiritual, according to Paul there. It is what unlocks the door and allows Holy Spirit to come in and begin to work. And also notice it says it keeps you, it's important because it keeps you from being tempted because it's hard, it's hard when you're doing this work, when you're confronting sin in someone else to not become sinfully proud and self-righteous yourself. And gentleness is what keeps that from happening. It's the same in the second timothy passage which is why i use that one as well look there it says in the lord's servant that's all of us by the way not just me praise god right that's you every single all of us the lord's servants must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness so again the context is a disagreement and paul says that we're to contend for the truth Gentleness does not mean that you lay aside truth and take it easy on people. No, truth matters. We are to contend for the truth. We're to fight for the things that we believe in. And when people are in error, we seek to correct them. But always with gentleness. And so the backdrop for a discussion about gentleness is confrontational love. Gentleness is not wimpy. I don't want you to have that in your mind. It's not conflict avoidant. We are to speak the truth and love always. But if we love people, we will speak the truth. And truth, let's be honest, all by itself, the truth at times can feel like a sore thrust, which is why truth and love always go together in the Bible. Truth, truth's hard enough on its own, but truth plus harshness, truth plus rashness, truth plus reckless words can wound a person so deeply they never recover. And James is particularly helpful, I think, in navigating this. And how to do it well because if you notice there he gives us the right categories to work in and i want you to pay attention to that because here's what i mean we're so prone to frame these kinds of disagreements that we can be having with even in the church or in society, you know, writ larger or whatever it might be. We can we can frame these things in terms of right and wrong. There's a right and there's a wrong, and I'm right, and you're wrong, and we're gonna get to the bottom of this. But the goal and the goal then is to be right and to prove how the other person is wrong, and often that is exactly where the harshness comes in. And it's a latent form of moralism, actually, and let me explain that. It it means that somewhere in there you're getting your righteousness. That sense of being right with God, of being okay, of being a good person—you're getting that sense of righteousness from your your right status, from your own rightness, from being on the right side. And pride can begin to creep in, which is what James mentions there. You see, selfish ambition—he he warns of us. He warns us up twice, which is um, just—it's a, a, an image of this this desire to win to put other people down, to stomp on their necks, to leave them in the dust. And if you're not winning, then not selfish ambition. If you're losing, then jealousy there twice as well. And what happens to your truth telling if these things are allowed to kind of be fomenting in your life? Well, then it's not about love. It's about knocking the other person down. It's about proving and holding on to your own rightness. And so you might start out to address the sin in someone else and end up being tempted yourself, as Galatians 6.1 says. Because love without truth isn't love, but truth without love isn't truth. It's twisted by pride. And so James says the goal, look there, this is just what's so helpful. James says actually the goal when you're dealing with these sorts of things, it's not all the time, the goal isn't always to just be right. Really the goal should be in everything you do to be wise. So 3.13 which starts this passage out, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. That that verse is a continuation of the discussion about faith displayed in works all the way back in chapter two, verses 14 through 16. So how does faith show up in good works in a person's life? Well, he says the good conduct that shows your faith is working itself out is this. It's whether you boast in your rightness, which James actually says is to be false to the truth, or whether you really put your heart to being wise. If you go into a disagreement with the goal of proving you're right, you can do a lot of damage, but wisdom is actually what get the, gets the job done. So let's go back to the Mitchell family and the Gates family in the Wall Street Journal article. It's, it's just, you ought to look it up. It's really fascinating because you can tell the writer is just confounded. And uh, a number of times in, in the article they ask, how, you know how do they get along? How is it possible for these two people who live next door, who have such differing views, get along with one another? And here, here's kind of what's discovered as they go along. Here, And I'm quoting the article. It says, they don't argue. They don't label each other. They listen to each other's perspectives and look for common ground and recognize that reasonable people can reach different conclusions. And then they interview one of the men, and he says, I think it boils down to respect. Listen to this. We have no desire or illusion that we're going to change each other's minds We just love one another. We're friends. And then at the end of the article, what it does is it just gives some advice about how you can maybe be like this with your your friends and neighbors too. And here's some of the advice. Accept, listen to this, this is so profound. Accept that you don't have to be right. And if you don't think you have to be right, then you begin to listen more. I think that's so wise. And being wise is so much better than being right. And here's what we learn. thirdly, that the truly wise person, if that is really our goal, the truly wise person is always gentle. That's the teaching of these verses very clearly. The wisdom that comes down from above, verse 15, that is the wisdom that you get from God, the wisdom that makes you more like God, it's contrasted with another kind of wisdom, in quotes, in quotes wisdom, not true wisdom, kind of wisdom in quotes that is earthly and unspiritual and demonic and motivated by jealousy and selfish ambition. And the two are distinguished by a single adjective. Do you see it there in verse 13? Look at it. What distinguishes true wisdom from the wisdom that is not really wisdom? Meekness. True wisdom is always meek. It's never arrogant. The fool, remember, the fool, the fool is the one in the Bible who is the brash, condescending, know-it-all. The word meekness is the word gentleness. It's actually translated that way in other translations. And it is the same word there in verse 13 of James chapter 3. Same word that Jesus used to describe himself in Matthew 11. It refers to a person who has a mild disposition. It was used in the ancient world to describe a wild animal that had been tamed. So that gives you kind of an image to work with. It's a person who's soft and warm and friendly. And actually we're given a list of synonyms towards the end of the passage that probably are, are worthy of just us taking a minute and walking through them. So if you look down in verse 17, do you see all the things that that James mentions is true of this was not this from above? It's first pure, that is from the right motivations. It's innocent and unselfish. It, it has the right set of desires. It's peaceable, which is translated <clears throat> peace loving. In other words, not argumentative or quarrelsome just for the sake of being quarrelsome, but looking for common ground and not, not picking a fight. It's gentle, we're told there. And that word is the only, it's the only place in the Bible where that particular word is found. And so it's really hard to translate. But most places it's translated courteous, considerate, something to that effect. Open to reason. Do you see that there? And that also is unique in the Bible. That, that, that word is used nowhere else in the entire scriptures. And it means to be easily persuaded. So it's wise to not be so entrenched in your opinions that you are not able to listen to other people, but to be teachable, willing to have your mind changed by new ideas, to show a deference towards others. It's translated submissive in the NIV. And so the idea of being submissive even in disagreement, approachable, something to that effect. We're told this meek wisdom is full of mercy. In other words, it's motivated from a compassion towards the weakness or error of, of another and a desire to do good for them because you feel for them, you incarnate with them, and you, you have deep feelings of compassion and empathy. It's impartial, which we talked about a few weeks ago, and that the root the root of that word is the idea of judging. It's it's a refusal to judge. You don't make distinctions and take sides and turn everything into an us versus them battle or a battle royale. You 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 refuse to be blindly um, loyal to one side against another. Instead, you give the benefit of the doubt to others in a disagreement. So there's no favoritism. It's sincere, literally, literally not hypocritical, straightforward, and honest. Now, these are the things, if you just make a list there, these are the things by which you test whether someone is truly wise. That's what James says the meekness of wisdom. And I'm fighting for this because of what verse 18 says. It says it produces a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. Again, anger cannot fix what is broken, but gentleness has the power to right wrongs. One of my favorite verses about what Jesus was like is Matthew chapter 12, quoting from the prophet Isaiah. And here's what, here's what Matthew writes. He says, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. And a bruised reed, he will not break. And a smoldering wick, he will not quench. And it's a picture of a gentle, quiet, unassuming person who refuses to raise his voice or harshly break off the reed that's already bruised or snuff out the wick of the candle that's already smoldering and about to go out. It's the one who's tasked with making all things right. That person, he did not come riding a war horse and brandishing his sword to make war against his enemies. He, the true king, came righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey we're told in the prophet Zechariah to die for his enemies by humbling himself into nothingness and being obedient to the cross and so humility and gentleness like that are what can save the world and this is important because again if the context is confrontational love then we're told in the bible that people change by encountering this kind of gentle love that's what changes people do you know the verse in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 kindness leads to repentance I mean I'll be honest I've been doing this for a while now Uh, longer than it might look because of my baby face I'm much older than I appear at first glance I get that a lot I'm in my mid 40s. I'm headed towards 50 guys so I got some experience behind me and I can tell you I can't remember in all of my years ever meeting someone who is scolded or shamed into believing or for that matter anyone who is scolded or shamed into repentance we're doing it all wrong Paul says, if someone is sinning, confront them gently, because it's the gentleness, he says. He says, when they experience your loving confrontation, but with a spirit of gentleness, that it will shock their system enough that they'll come to their senses. Instead of of entrenching them in in their wrongness against you, it's what gentleness is what will win them back. He says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind, patiently teaching, correcting his opponents, With gentleness, look there, so that God may perhaps grant repentance and they might come to their senses. And so our arguments are far less effective than our gentleness. Can I say that again? Our arguments are far less effective than our gentleness. And the truth is, it's God's job to convince people of the truth. He grants repentance. It's our job to speak the truth in a way that allows Him to work wisely. And gently and so let me finish because we need to come to a close here let, let me finish just by talking about then just just some some bigger gospel applications about how you can become gentle like like we're reading about here and, and what i really want to say is that when i when i describe a gentle person i mean someone who has thick skin and a soft heart that really is the picture that emerges a person with thick skin and a soft heart they don't shy away from conflict they call out sin but they're supernaturally able to not become self-righteous and condescending in the process And you know, I mean, you know it's normal, just the reverse, to have thin skin and a hard heart underneath. And that's natural. That's what you see on the regular, on the reg, as the kids would say, every day. Right? We're so touchy. Have you noticed? Come on, be honest. Have you noticed? We're so touchy. We're so easily provoked. But underneath, we've shut our hearts off from one another, and it's a really bad recipe. Christians are just the opposite. They have thick skin. If you want to know what a Christian is, if you're here and you don't know or you're you're new to this, a Christian is a person that has developed thick skin because they've been loved into the kind of strength and security that you need to do confrontational love. The number one reason... That we fail at confrontational love, as we've been describing, is that we have too much to lose in these encounters. There's too much at stake, and what happens to us is we get knotted up because we don't feel like we can risk losing the other person's love and approval. And that's that's why parents don't discipline their kids to their, their to I mean, to the destruction of their children. It's why friends never confront one another, and so there's no growth and change. So we need to need less so that we can love more. We need an emotional wealth from which to risk. The relationship in order to do good, to be able to endure rejection and criticism in order to love. And here's what Christianity, here's how Christianity speaks into that situation. It says, In Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in Him, then because of His work, you can be so secured in God's love. And through the Holy Spirit, you can be so aware, you can be feeling it. It can be a reality in your life to such a degree that you can push into confrontational love without worrying about yourself because you're starting from a place of fullness. So you already have all of the love that you need. You're full of God's love, and so you can need people less. And because you need them less, you can love them more. But a Christian also is a person who not only has thick skin, but underneath that thick skin is a soft heart because they've been humbled into empathy and compassion by grace. Here's the Christian gospel. God loves you. You can be absolutely sure of that. But his love is not something you earn. It's not because of your doing. There's righteousness. You can be right with God. You can have right standing with God that just pervades your life and makes you this secure, stable person. But you're not righteous because you're right. It's all grace. Everything we have is all because of who he is and what he has done. We did nothing. He did everything. The most basic truth of Christianity, Jesus died for sinners. Inside Christianity, no one gets to feel superior to anybody else. There's no moral high ground. You know that, right? And so if love requires that I do confrontational love, then as I do it, I'm reminded that I'm a sinner confronting another sinner. About And whatever wrong I might find in them, I'm guilty of the same and probably far more than that. And so I'm repenting even, even as I'm calling other people to repent. And that takes all of the self-righteousness out of it and allows gentleness to come in and to begin to do its work. That's the way this is supposed to work. Let me finish. I've um, I started watching a show on Apple TV. Don't judge me. Uh, I'm ner- well. Anyway, I started watching this show called Ted Lasso. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, it's it's about an American college football coach who's hired to coach an English Premier League team, because the team is owned by the vindictive ex-wife of the former owner, and so she got the team in the divorce, and she wants to tank. She wants it to tank, and she wants she wants it just to go in the gutter to get back at her husband. And it's you know, I don't even know. It's it's wonderful. I mean, not because of that. That sounds like really bad. I'm going to explain to you why it's so wonderful. It's It's just a marvelous, it's marvelous. It's wonderful, it really is. It's a comedy, but it's only funny because the lead character is so unexpected. He's so unlike anything we're used to. And what happens is, I'm only a few episodes in, but what happens is the people in the show are just constantly kind of confused by him. He gets a lot of these kinds of looks, like... because he's just so unlike anything we're used to. They don't know what to do with him. And at first, if I thought at first it was gonna be like watching The Office, you know, kind of that ironic, like painful, oh, this is just, I can barely watch this. Until you realize, with this guy, he's completely sincere. He is genuinely kind and gentle and patient, and unflappable despite everything going on around him and it is just a remarkable thing to watch i would i would encourage you to do so kb hoyle who writes reviews for christ and pop culture and i and i read everything that she reviews and i usually watch everything she writes about because she just convinces me of it and here's what she said she put like that she said i've gotten so used to seeing alpha male heroes in entertainment that i almost forgot that manliness is not defined by bravado In fact, it's so rare to see depictions of male protagonists who value gentleness and kindness, not at the expense of strength, but as the source of their strength, that the whole experience, she says, was moving. She says, thinking back, I have to remind myself that the show was funny because the comedy, listen to this, listen to this phrase, she says, because the comedy was often swallowed up in the goodness of the character. And I read that and I thought, oh man, that's when I, that's, yes, that's it. That's that's what I want. That's what I'm praying for. That all of the outrage and the dysfunction and the pain of our cultural moment would get swallowed up in the goodness of Christians. That the world would be just as confused by us because we're so otherworldly that we just get a lot of the looks like, are you serious right now? Is this real? that the world would not know what to do with us either. Now, KB Hoyle goes on to say this. She says, Ted's love for others holds him together even when things don't go as he would like them to. And eventually, it holds his entire team together as well. She says, it's exactly the sort of story that we need to show us a little bit of what greatness really looks like. You want to know what greatness is? Greatness is gentleness. And listen, the world bows to it. Amen? Pray with me, would you? So, Father, these are fruit of the Spirit. We acknowledge that. Which means they are not things that grow in the natural soil of our hearts. We need you to come and change us before we could have any hope of these things. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and so forth to begin to sprout up and bear fruit in our lives. And so uh, every single one of us in this room, if we truly belong to you, it is because you have at some point reached in and taken the heart of stone out from our our deepest insides and given us a heart of flesh. And there's some of us still who were good people But we've not yet experienced that kind of transformation, and we desperately need for you to do that. We need for you to do that for the sake of your own name so that we would be people supernaturally empowered by the Spirit to go into the world that you've called us to love and do so in such a way that people are confounded and have no other other conclusion to come to except that there is something otherworldly at work here that that's the kind of people you mean for us to be forgive us that we have allowed ourselves to be far more enculturated far more cultivated by the world we live in and all of the the nefarious forces at work instead of being cultivated by life of intimacy and obedience and oneness and abiding with you we need you to do something father would you come would you come and do that? Here we are. We open our hearts and our lives to you. We come with open arms for whatever it is that you would do in us and through us in this moment. Uh, we are few, but we're a mighty few. And so just in the quiet moment, Father, we surrender ourselves to you and whatever, whatever that means this morning. And we marvel at the grace of the Lord Jesus who has won our hearts and put a song in our on our lips to sing the wonder and the greatness of who you are. And so be glorified, inhabit our praises now as we respond in the best way we know how, and that is to sing uh, and, and worship you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It really is true. I mean, that is the foundation of our worship that we would say we've never met anyone like you and yet here's, this, here's how this benediction works he sends us with the promise that his love goes with us and if you, are, if you become a person, if your faith is in the Lord Jesus and you go, not going trying to earn uh, his love and, his, and, his, and any righteousness of your own but going, going knowing that before you go he set his love upon you then just the experience of that love ironically, even as we just sang there's no one like you, that can turn you into a person like him he means for you to go and be like him So that when people see you, it will be such a disorienting, confusing thing for them that they will say, who in the world can make somebody like that person? And there's only one answer. Only the love of God and Jesus can. So receive these words of benediction and go uh, as he sends you now into the world with his missionary mandate. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace both now and forever forever more amen god bless you go in this peace